good to see you this morning. Welcome to Willow Park Church, and uh, I want to welcome you uh, for joining us, and we're really um, blessed that you've come to worship, that you've come to engage. If you're a teenager, yep, you can follow the youth guys out there, and we'll see you in a few minutes. And we have been on an interesting journey, haven't we? I don't mean COVID, I mean Colossians, okay? Um, we're on a very interesting journey anyway with COVID, with the church and all that is taking place. But we are uh, uh, journeying our way through the book of Colossians, just four chapters, but four very uh, remarkable and powerful chapters that we have been exploring and going through. We understand just the immensity and, and the power that there is in Christ Jesus. And what we want to do is, again, continue. So if you've got your Bibles, open your Bibles up and turn with me to um, chapter 2, verse 8. And as we look at chapter 2, verse 8, it's been quite a weekend. Michelle and I moved this week. So um, she said to me this morning in our new house full of boxes, you do know I'm not coming to church this morning, don't you? I said, oh, yeah, where's your commitment? And... Because last week I gave you, I gave the challenge that I would be overly thankful as we finished at verse 7. Do you remember that? <laughs> that I would be overly thankful and, uh, and she would give a report on me. Uh, we'll have to wait for that report. But Paul finished off that verse in verse 7, overly thankful. I want to be overly thankful. I want to live my life out of thankfulness. Because thankful people are people that know the presence and the power of God within their lives. You seem to be having a little problem. You're trying to turn it on. Um, let me. Have you got it? Because I've got the controller here. <laughs> See? Uh, anybody want to watch Sky Sports? Um, is, it, is it coming on? Uh, did you unplug it? You're new, aren't you? No, yeah, 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 you weren't sure whether I was going to preach a bit of Gnosticism or something. Um, thanks, Zach. Um, so we're going to step into this. So we're going to do verse 2, probably through to verse 15. So get your Bibles open, get ready, and we're going to dive deep as we look into these scriptures. Um, and these scriptures relate to the philosophy and the ministry of the kind of church that we are building. Now, it's important that we build a kind of church that is gospel-centric. Of course, we believe in the power of the gospel to change lives. We believe in a church that's empowered by the anointing and the work of the Holy Spirit. We believe in a church that activates all of the believers and that you and I would be activated. And we believe in a church that listens to the work of the Holy Spirit within our lives. And even at a time like this, when we're not rebuilding, re rebooting a church, we're rebuilding churches all over Canada because of what we'll be seeing as the great falling away as a result of the pandemic. It is more important that we understand also that as Paul wrote to the church in Colossians, Colossae, that it was probably only about 60 people, but he cared enough for them to write in that uh, valley of where he was uh, writing to, in the Lystra Valley, just 120 miles from Ephesus. 
as he's writing these words, he's fighting for the existence of the church. He's fighting for the existence of the proclamation of the gospel. And he's feeling the pressure on both sides that are working. See to it that no one takes you captive through the hollow and deceptive philosophy. Captive. Paul is actually, according to the great theologian, Bishop of Durham, and the esteemed N.T. Wright, N.T. Wright says that Paul is actually cracking a little joke here. Now, I imagine when you look at that first line, you can't see the punchline, but it's a pun. Dads, you know all about puns, right? Uh, Yes, dad jokes, my kids call them. They are, that's terrible. Or as we like to call them in Willow Park Church, Curtis Pullman jokes. And he's got an ability to capture those jokes. So the word captive is very much like in the Greek, the word synagogue. And of course, the one thing that we know that on this little church of 60 people or so, on one side was the ultra-right Jewish community that wanted to replace Jesus and to bring back the Torah. And on the other side, you had the, the kind of um, paganism of the kind of Roman Greek philosophy that were battling against each other. And these two areas were battling against each other. And so N.T. Wright says that he's kind of, it's a little bit like, it's like you might, many of you may not know the philosopher John Locke. John Locke was a philosopher. He opposed um, Charles II, James II, and was very relieved when William of Orange came to the throne, a little bit of a, a kind of 1640s English history. But there was a philosopher called John Locke, and you could have, kind of made a little pun around don't let John Locke lock you up with his thoughts and his thinking. I know, not very funny. But it's, Paul's kind of doing that. He's going, don't let, let, let you be taken captive. And the word captive is like by synagogue, it's a very close link. He's saying, don't let them captivate you. The synagogue in the Greek, don't let them bring you back through hollow and deceptive philosophy. Don't let them take away the centrality of Jesus Christ. And the one thing I know about anything that opposes and anything that is fake, anything that is wrong, anything that takes us away from the Lord Jesus Christ is always anything that is a cult or a sect. It always demotes Jesus for not being God himself. It always takes away the power of the Trinity. You can always spot false doctrine when Jesus is demoted to something a lot less. We always remember that. Because Christ is the centrality of our belief. Christ is the centrality of who we are. Through hollow, deceptive philosophies, which depend on human traditions and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. I remember... Because I uh, went to an English private school to be educated. <laughs> yes. And I don't let that impress you because I was expelled. Uh, but I went to this English and then I got converted and I actually went back. It was quite a story. But I remember my religious teacher when I said one day, oh, I've been born again. He said, let me explain to you that scripture of being born again. 
after he sat down with me and said, you know, to be born again means to be reincarnated. And what Jesus was teaching is that when you die, you'll come back again and you'll be reincarnated. I looked at him, what are you talking about? And then he said, and of course, all religions lead to God. And really, God is up a big mountain and all the world religions sit around it. And it doesn't matter where you go and how you get there. It all leads back to God. I was like, what are you talking about, really? And, and as he looked at, carried on, he said, yes. And Jesus, of course, wasn't born of a virgin. But when he went into the waters of baptism, that's when he became divine. By that time, I, I mean, I was only, what, 16 years old. And I was looking at him and thinking, no, that's not right. That's something. First of all, you've turned Jesus into somebody that is fully human and not fully divine. Secondly, what you've done is talk about anti what Scripture teaches, that man is once to die and then the judgment. And thirdly, honestly, I don't really believe what you're saying. And as I looked at him, he, he, he understood this. He then said, okay, if you've got your own philosophy, what you can do is take your ideas and I will put you in charge of the class debate. You can ask all the world religions to come into the class to speak and then you can defend the Christian faith. I thought, bring it on. I'm on Mount Carmel here. Let's just have a bit of fire and burn something. Anyway, so... Old Testament, we don't do that. When they said, Jesus, shall we bring down and destroy this village? You know, James and John in that weird verse, shall we destroy this village? Jesus goes, no, we do not bomb villages. Really, it's no, we don't do that. But I, then I had the Mormons in, I had the Baha'i faith in, I had the Jehovah Witnesses in, I had uh, all the other great... Uh, different religions of the Islamic and, and the Abrahamic religions all came in and over six months. And at the end of each class, they took a vote on who won the debate. So it was quite something. I loved it. It was great. And I actually said to all my friends in the class, I won every class. But... I'm not sure that was because of my brilliance or whether it was because they were like, ah, oh, no, I don't like that guy. But one day the Moonies came in and the guy who was talking from the Moonies, do you remember the Moonies? They once existed. Do you remember those? They're like big, big redhead Christians. Some young Moonies. And, and the Moonies came in, but he had a cold. And everybody voted against him because he had a cold. Beautiful moment. Um, these days... Yeah, he wants to come in. Um, see to it that no one takes you captive by deceptive philosophy. It wasn't that Paul's against philosophy, right? Because the word philosophical is the word wisdom. We're not against wisdom as Christians. We're not against understanding the natural laws of the world. We don't check our brains out at the door when we become Christians. But what he's actually saying is this. They are false deceptive philosophies that rob you of the power of Jesus within your life. And there is so much that is attacking the church today that takes us away from the knowledge that Christ is Lord. 
that we have a glorious and magnificent relationship with God and that we are walking with God and we know God in power. It's sort of been dumbed down. But I want to tell you, as Willow Park Church, we are committed to the power of the gospel to transform lives. We are committed that demonic powers are defeated by the power of the cross. We are committed to declare that Jesus died for the sins of the world and he has defeated sin, Satan and death. That's what we're committed to. And Paul just wants them to not be punned away, which depends on human tradition and elemental spiritual forces, a direct reference to the power of the demonic that is behind ideas. And that's why it's so important that we realize that there is a demonic battle taking place and a demonic battle that takes us and these ideas are demonically inspired. And when we understand that there are philosophies and ideas and thoughts that demote God, that delete God, that get rid of God. We do not have to live very long to know how easy it is to be hustled and how easy it is to trick people. I mean, it's tonight is the night of tricks. It is the, you know, Halloween. It is that period. Halloween has its roots, of course, in Roman. Um, events, which is a Roman festival when people used to believe on a certain day the spirits would come out of the graves and if you dressed up then they wouldn't recognize you and create havoc in your life. Then it fell away in the Middle Ages because they weren't, but then under Celtic um, kind of tradition it came back again and then was utterly revived in the 1920s by so many Celts going to um, to America and it all started to revive again and today we have what we call this Halloween event. But I think it's wonderful that at this Halloween event we can gather at 5.30 for Willow One Prayer at the same time doing two outreach events in this car park and in the car park at our South Campus and we can reach our community with trunk or treat and tell people about the love and the grace of God in the world. You know, through our four festivals that have happened regularly now for nearly five years, we have seen people join the church, find Christ, and give their lives to God, and their families have been revolutionized. I say, how did you come through Willow Park? We came through your four festivals. You know, when we painted all the doors and did all the doors, and that's how we found Jesus. So we're going to do spiritual battle here tonight at 5.30, while others are going to be out sharing and meeting people from our community and blessing those from the community. It's fantastic. But of course, this is what Paul's talking about. He's talking about the trickery of ideas that take away the beauty of your relationship with Jesus Christ. What about at that moment if I believed my religious educational teacher and I had accepted his critique of John's gospel and there I would have believed and walked away? I didn't because something told me that when I was born again, I did not know God. I was born of the Spirit and I walked out of that little gospel church completely revolutionized by God's power. And that morning I woke up and I knew that Jesus was still with me. I 
And you're exactly what Jesus came to call me to be. But what about for Adam? What is deceiving you? What are we open to in our lives? You know, we see vast religious empires held together, enslaving uh, ideas of, of, of how to think and what to do. And that some of them, they're almost impossible to escape elementary forces. First, it is always deceptive. It sounds great, but it is empty deceit. That's why in Set Free, when we, we're running one next weekend, it is really important that we identify deceit and lies from other spiritual influences to break any influence and power that it might have on our lives. Do you know in the early Roman Christian church, when somebody wanted to be baptized in the second generation of the early church, they would literally do a one-year set-free program. And what they would do would take the people through them denouncing all the Roman pagan gods that they swore affiliation to. Because Rome, as I've told you before, was dominated by gods. In fact, Rome believed it was so powerful because it learned to feed the gods so much. And so for everything in life, whether it was on the street, in the kitchen, in the bedroom, in the living room, in every area, they had gods for every part of their lives. So when somebody became a Christian, they made sure that they were free of every detail and every bondage of the pagan Greek Roman world. There's a danger in our world today that there are things that we don't understand that can still hold Christians back. And that's why we talk about it is deceptive. We want to break the lies. The Gnostic philosophy was was purported to be from ancient primal history. They were always so intelligent. They would say, you know, yes, you've got your tradition, your new religion, Christianity, but we believe things that are hidden in the past. We believe things that are from, you know, more mysterious. You always know when somebody's moving away from their Christian faith because they use terms like, I'm growing up. You know when they're moving away because I'm, I'm, I'm widening my views. And they make it sound so intelligent, so amazing. They make it sound like they're on this kind of spiritual enlightenment journey. But the truth is they're moving away from their intimate, glorious relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so they're maturing. But I tell you, it's human philosophy that takes us away. And this false teaching is this. And Paul makes it clear in these verses, demon control. Now, we don't often like to talk about that. But there is control that is depending on the elemental spirits of the world. In other words, demonically inspired, demonically driven. We are in a spiritual battle, and that spiritual battle is real. And, and Christians...
issues like never before have to guard our hearts in such a way and our minds and put on the full armor of God because we are facing a spiritual battle that is taking place. We're facing so many fronts within the church, but what we have to do is focus on the most important element, the most important thing, and the most important thing is that Jesus Christ is Lord. We focus on him because the more you look at Jesus, the more the other stuff fades away. We focus. We get our faith in order. We get our lives in order. We start to live differently. We start to depend, take captive, simply, of course, means to be able to to be taken prisoner. And for many of us, we have to be open to the idea that there may be areas of our lives or strongholds that are taken captive of us. One of the things that we do in step three is explain the theology of being taken captive and then explain how we can simply use the beautiful weapon that Christ has given us of forgiveness, of confession, of of the authority that brings deliverance, and we can find freedom in those areas that we should be free from. The reason to resist, we come to this verse. So we've explained that Paul is trying to Stop them from getting caught in the Venus flytrap of other philosophies that gets you there and then consumes you. Remember Venus flytrap? We used to sail in this thing. Oh, I used to, I could never get a fly. I used to try and catch a fly and stick it to it. Um, But but they, you know, you unsuspecting fly lands on it, gets sticky, it closes up and it eats you. Wonderful for 11 year old boys. And he's saying, don't get caught in the Venus flytrap of false ideas and false philosophies. Christ is victorious. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. The fullness. Notice, this is a statement in Paul's theology when he's absolutely clear on the deity of Jesus Christ. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. There's a clarity in his writing that is immense. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity. If you doubt the Trinity, then that verse makes it clear. That actually, in the mystery of God, all the fullness of Christ dwells. It was a really exciting day when I first stood. It it surprised you. I stood on the edge and I viewed for the first time in my whole life the Pacific Ocean. I've seen the Atlantic Ocean many times. There are Cornwall, Land's End. Honestly, if you've never seen the Pacific Ocean, and I arrived at Vancouver, and I went out, and I looked out towards, I suppose it was the Georgia Straits, but somewhere down there, it was out there. And the feeling in in Oregon, when you go there into, you know, Cannon Beach, and with the haystack, and you look out on 
to see the specific items of the Father. It is vast. It is magnificent. It is the largest item on the planet. Amazing. But of course, and the first thing I did was I got a little jar and I got some some specific items. Honestly, I, I don't have the time or the energy to do that. I got beard and got some specific items. The point is, is that I could only take a little bit of it. The whole ocean could have been there. And you know, when you were born of the Spirit, the fullness of Christ came into you. You can't have the fullness of God because it's like having the fullness of the Pacific Ocean. But you have been given part of that fullness that came into you as a deposit of the Spirit. And you have the glory of God within you. Because within every believer here, the Holy Spirit dwells within you. He's there. And I look at the vastness of God, I'm overwhelmed. And when I meditate on the vastness of God, I am so, so in awe of who God is. Magnificent. Meditate on the vastness of God. Our pursuit students were talking about this. They, were, they had to go and think about different theological words. You know, the, 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 the sense of the greatness of God, omnipotent God omnipotent God, and they had to go and do this, and then they sat down and they talked about what that meant to them. It was quite inspiring, actually, to hear their research and to realize how big God actually is. That great God dwells in you. You can't get all of it in you, like my jam jar. But I got, I got some of it in me the vastness of God, the fullness of the Godhead, the authority. This statement that in him the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily. It blasts the Gnostics. It drives away those that want to take away Jesus' position. Paul is absolutely clear on this. And so we must remember too that as we continue in him, we experience the satisfaction and the fullness continually streaming of springs of living water that dwell within us. You'll notice in your text that Paul now comes with and he focuses on death. He says, in him you are also circumcised with circumcision, not performed by human hands, your whole self willed by the flesh was cut off when you were circumcised by Christ. What Paul is saying is that circumcision is a snip of a little bit of flesh. So the whole of the flesh of Christ was nailed to the cross so that you could be bought and marked as a child of the living God. He died he went through the flesh and the pain. He went through the agony of the cross so that you and I, and what Paul is doing here by this reference to circumcision, he is explaining clearly that, that we identify with the flesh. Do you remember when the prophet went to the small child and the child was dead? And so the prophet laid on the child and 
and his life brought the child back to life. You and I are dead in our sins. But Christ came from the glory of God and we are dead. We are buried. We may be alive, but sin has made us dead. And Christ has come and laid upon us in his death. And he has given us life. And because he has given himself, he has raised you and I that we now have salvation and we now have life. That's what he's teaching us. Teaching us about death. And that that here it provides a gruesome metaphor, a crucifixion. The circumcision on the cross involving not the stripping away of a small piece, but the violent removal of entire body and guts. And people don't like us to think about the violent removal of Christ, that he died for us, to atone us, to set us free, and then we were buried, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith. As I'm looking at this verse and praying about it, it's reminded me that we have to remind ourselves that there was a day when each one of us, we were buried in baptism. Do you remember that? I remember it. It's in a little gospel hall, and there was it was about this big, and and I there was a uh, there was a baptism tank. You walked in, and then I had to stand there. You know the deal. And then I was baptized. It was a glorious moment. But Paul often in his writings reminds the believers about that moment of baptism, and what he's saying is. That was a holy, divine moment. Now live according to what Christ has done in your life. In other words, don't forget your baptism vows. Don't forget your commitment. Don't forget what happened in that water. Don't forget that you said you gave your whole life to God. You said that there was no turning back. You said that was it. And often in my life, when I've strayed maybe my heart or I've got a little lukewarm, sometimes I remind myself, like my marriage vows, yes, that was the moment. That is the moment when I said, I witness to the world, for me, I will follow Christ until the day I die. That was baptism. And I think it is important for those of you who are baptized, I want to remind you again of your commitment. And the one prayer I prayed as a teenager, I remember this clearly, and into my 20s, was, Lord Jesus, just allow me, because I've never wanted to fall away, allow me to serve you with all my heart until the day I die. That has to be our prayer. I will serve Jesus until the day I breathe my last moment because I want to serve him. Would you be willing? Maybe you were baptized when you were 12, and that's important. But maybe you need to spiritually rediscover, rediscover the power of that baptism in your life. Rediscover the power of that devotion within you. Find that again, having been buried with him in baptism work of God and the resurrection in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God 
he's raising from the dead. Paul is making them clear. Don't let Gnostic thinking or extreme Jewish thinking drag you away. What I want you to do is I want to remind you, you were dead in, in your sins. And Christ was stripped of everything to save you. He gave it all for you, the Godhead and the deity. And he was buried as you were buried in the water. And he was raised. And the truth is, Colossae, don't forget it. Because one day the trumpet will sound. One day Christ will return and the dead in Christ will rise again. Don't allow yourself to move out there. Because Christ took it all. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of indebtedness, the IOU. Can I remind you that myself, you and I, we were once filthy bankrupt. So bankrupt that we could do nothing to pay our debt. And it is a gift of God that God has troubled your spiritual account and made you a child of the King. Made you a child of the King. And there's a clearness which said again and condemned us. He has taken it away. How? Nailing it to the cross. And all of your pain, all of your regret, all of your sin, all the things that you are battling with, all the things that you're not free from, you can nail it to the cross in Christ. One of the aspects of set free is this, that Christ has achieved it, but we have to activate it in our lives. We've got to say, I, I activate it right now. And I activate it. Yes, Christ has won the war, but the landmines of the battle of our lives, of our problems and our difficulty and our flesh, we need to learn how to deal with those areas and be able to find that ongoing work of sanctification in Christ. Because have you met Christians that have lived for 30, they've been Christians for 30 years and they've still got the same problem of anger? You met Christians that sat in church and heard 52 sermons a year, and if they come to Willow Park, 52 awesome sermons. I don't know. And yet, that jealousy issue is still real in their lives. That bitterness is still present in their lives. It's because Christ has purchased it all. And I'll show you in a moment how much as I finish. But what I want to say to you is that that issue that you are being held back with in your spiritual life, if it's true what it says on the tin, and if the label is right about Christianity, you can find freedom in Christ. That's it. You can be free. I've got to believe that, otherwise I've got to give up preaching. Because what am I going to preach to you if you can't be saved? What am I going to talk about if Christ can't set you free? What's the point? Might as well, I don't know. So 
to a concert or something, but can't go there anymore. Uh, so it's difficult, isn't it? But we see this taking place, the demonic powers. So I'm coming to the final verse in this. Verse 15. Next week, we'll move on. We'll start to get into the nitty-gritty of kind of tradition and religion. But as we step into this, there's a moment because it is Colossae and Colossians is set in a Roman context. It's set in that uh, kind of geopolitical world, really. It's set in that philosopher. So he's trying to do something which seems impossible, and he's talking about come the revolution. See, Paul believes, and this is, this is stuff that will deserve death, he's writing here, and indeed Paul will be martyred for this stuff. Because what he's actually saying is, when you make Christ supreme, you're making the emperor not supreme. When you make Christ the deity, the ultimate deity, you're saying that the emperor is not the deity. You see the battle? So when, when Roman soldiers used to go and invade the world, their legions along their well-constructed roads, and I lived in my old town in England, and at the top of the, uh, the estate, the housing area, was the old Roman world, road going off to Chester. And as kids, we used to say, I'll meet you at the Roman road. And we go up on the Roman road. It sounds very impressive. It was also an old dirt track that was really safe. And it would go all the way to Wales, straight. And sometimes it would become a real road, and the rest of the time it was just a track. It was the old Roman road. They took over the world. And when they invaded Britain, they got all the treasures and all the gold of England, and they, they took it, and then they got the chieftains, and they would do this, and they did it with Mesopotamia. They landed there, and they defeated them, and it's described in the ancient history that for three days, the Romans celebrate the victory of their returning generals. First day was all of the troops would march in, and there was up to 256 chariots when they conquered Mesopotamia. And all the chariots came through, and there was a big ticker tape, and hooray, it was like they'd landed on the moon, and the Apollo had returned, and, and the people came out. How great Rome is, look at our army, look at our legions. The next day would be all the gold and all the spoil from, from England, and they'd bring all our gold and all our stuff and everything, or from, and, and in fact with Mesopotamia, they would... Um, there were so many pots of gold, it was immense of what they, they, they brought back to Rome. And the next day was the treasures of that country which they conquered. And the final day, they would bring the royal families, the chieftains, the servants, all of those who served the bureaucracy of that kingdom. And those servants would beg for forgiveness. And they would walk through the crowds, and the crowds would, would wave at them and boo at them. And then finally, at the very end, they'd bring the, the English chieftain, and he'd be all bound up. I say England, because, because the Romans never conquered Rome. No, that was a step too far. 
you know, not those pelts. And so they brought the chieftain along. And as they brought the chieftain along, and they would, they would all jeer at him and his kids. And there he was. And then behind him, at the end of the procession on the third day. Isn't it interesting that it took three days for Romans to have their celebration. And on the third day, the general would come and he would show and display the conquered king. And everybody would see it. And what Paul's about to say to you is this, that when Christ died on the cross, that when Christ was laid in the grave, that on Christ rose on the third day, he took all the spoils, he took all the power, he took all of the powers of the demonic forces, all of the darkness of this world, and he defeated them, declaring that Christ is Lord. He's the general behind. He's the one riding on his horse. He's the one, and death and sin and Satan are defeated in that traumatic moment when Christ died upon the cross. So let's read the verse. And having disarmed the powers and the authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by what? By the cross. By the cross. Whatever enemy you're facing in your life, whatever battle you are facing, whatever difficulty you're in, we are triumphing, not because of our own self. We are triumphing because of the cross. You are free. You are saved. You are born again. You see, no philosopher can even match up to that. Nothing. Because Christ is the triumphant one that has come to conquer. Let's stand to our feet. And tonight, we're gathering at 5.30 to pray for our city and to invoke the power of the cross to be triumphant there. Now I want to ask you, if you're not with your family, if you are not helping the trickle, the uh, trunk or treat, then come on. Come and gather in this place. Zach's going to lead us in worship tonight. And we're just going to worship on the darkest day of the year and declare that Jesus is Lord. Declare that Jesus is Lord. Uh, we met with prayer intercessors this morning. Uh, the prayer group, and you can always join us at 9 o'clock to pray for these services. And all they're saying, Willow Park Church. And they, uh, we, somebody prayed, and they're so right, that tonight what we are going to be, we are choosing to be watchmen on the wall of our city. Gideon's army, praying for our city. Praying that God will work. Praying that he will be present. Hallelujah. So you're either on mission or you're on prayer.
Decide what you're going to do tonight. On mission, go and smile at some people and wave at them. Give out some candy and say, come and see us at Christmas and you'll get saved. And then, or you're in here, praying for our city and for our province. Or joining us online. Father, we thank you. We thank you that Paul clearly said, and it cost him his life, when he was executed in Rome, Paul clearly said that no Roman general had won the victory. It's not a Roman general at the end of the parade. It was Jesus Christ our Lord, who was taken captive all the demonic powers, all the work of darkness, all the injustice. He has done it, and we say, Amen, Lord. Amen, Lord. Amen. Amen. You've done it, Lord. You've done it. You've set us free. You have set us free, Lord. Thank you.